Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hi, I'm Linda Regano, co-host of the WAM Podcast. It's an honor to be your host, where I get to introduce listeners to amazing women who are making a real difference. With our podcasts, you'll get to hear inspirational stories, both personal and professional challenges, our guests have overcome, how their backgrounds help to shape who they are today, and oftentimes how they're giving back to their communities and the world. Joining me today, I'm very excited to have Fiona Delaney, who is a fearless, and I mean fearless, champion for the agricultural world in Ireland and around the world. Currently, Fiona is making it possible for organic and sustainable farmers to have an easy way to have farm-to-fork traceability for their products. And we're going to hear all about it directly from her. So, Fiona, thank you so much for joining the show. Oh, it's a real pleasure, Linda. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, and you have, I just wanted for our audience, you have such an interesting background. You are a filmmaker who turned into a supply chain traceability expert. And I bet you don't get a lot of those. Yeah, Um, I feel like I'm one of a kind. Could you share with our listeners a little bit more about your background and the early influencers? Yeah, for sure. I think I I feel like I have to go back a little bit. You know, I grew up in the countryside. My dad wasn't a farmer, but my grandfather was. And one of my uncles lived with us and he was a a grow-your-own kind of advocate. And so we grew a lot of food at home, you know, carrots, potatoes curly kale, spinach. We had a small little orchard. So I grew up very much being able to walk out my door and, you know, touch the soil where where the food that I could eat came from. Not all of it, of course. There was a lot of supermarket shopping as well. But I understood <laughs> where food came from and how to make it grow. And then as I, I guess as I grew up, even when I was you know, studying different things. I was really interested in languages and travel. And, you know, in Europe, we have a lot of opportunity, I would say, to encounter really quite different and diverse cultures, more or less on our doorstep, you know. So I was really interested in that opportunity. But all the time, I guess I was really connected to and influenced by landscape, agricultural and working landscapes, Mm -hmm. and how there's a need really to have something, a parity between sustainability objectives and commercial objectives. And moving forward into the 21st century, I definitely think we see that being played out more and more. Absolutely. And you also had, you excelled in languages. I understand that you studied linguistics and uh, digital communications in school. Yeah, I did. I originally started off uh, with a humanities uh, background. I graduated with French and Italian, studied a bit of Latin and ancient Greek, you know. Ooh, ancient <laughs> the Greek. perfectly useless stuff. <laughs> and, and traveled a bit, you know. I lived in Italy for a while. I lived in Paris for a while, you know did uh, a bunch of different things and I think that really it really empowered me in the way that I could meet and communicate and talk with different people from different places and that was a real benefit when finally landed up in business because it really doesn't matter what language you're speaking the language of business is kind of common you know (laughs) so what was your dream then going when you were in college What, what did you dream about doing I was always a self-starter, always coming up with new ideas, 
always making up stuff, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, and whatever, I, I wasn't completely clear where would I would end up. It made, it, I mean, straight after I left college, I ended up working in an art center, but I literally walked in the door, bumped into the director, told him what I wanted to do, and he hired me, more or less. Oh, I love it. So I yeah, it. I mean, it was, <laughs> and then I feel like the rest of my so I went on to have a career in the arts for yeah, up until more or less the banking crisis, a little bit after that, and I had my kids at that stage. I have two young gentlemen of the world, <laughs> um, and we. I just felt that working in the arts was not. I didn't have enough bandwidth to be creating new work in the way that I did, which was a lot of film work. We would call it contemporary collaborative practice. So it'd be engaging with people. It's, it's quasi-documentary kind of stuff. But also, I think you, you you had mentioned to me that you did some work in reality TV. You got to tell us about The Voice of Ireland. Well, yeah. I mean, that was uh, so the next step. I was, you know, instead of operating as a sort of independent producer and director I thought well you know maybe I could go a bit more commercial maybe that would be a bit more regular a little less gig and I I wound up in reality tv for a while uh, on the voice of Ireland we have MasterChef uh, a few different things like that you know Uh, Dragon's Den which is a bit like I don't know it's Shark Tank maybe I think you would have so I, I was working in the background of those and when you've been working in the environment where you're very much self-directed and have great respect for the content that you're putting on the screen, and then you move into this more commercial and industrial aspect in reality TV, which everybody knows is, you know, the story and the reaction, audience reaction is everything. It's just a completely different a completely different side of things. And it, I came to the conclusion it wasn't really a good fit for me. So, uh, and I felt a little bit aged out, even at that stage. I was like, oh, I'm too old for starting off in this game. <laughs> so I actually, I, I just think, you know, I decided to completely reboot, to take time out and completely reboot. And that's how I ended up going into computer science. I'm bringing my original language skills into computer programming, which is not a bad transition. I can recommend it. Yeah, that's a great transition. And you had had said something early on in one of our conversations that I just loved, which is go where you are celebrated, not where you are denigrated. 100%. You know. When I worked, Linda, when I worked in the reality TV side of things, my colleagues were great avid watchers, I would say, of all kinds of reality TV. And, you know, the Kardashians would be a regular topic of conversation and uh, pop stars and pop pop stars say it was, you know, a very different cultural environment to what to where I would have been coming from. And so I really enjoyed that part of it, actually. But there was Katy Perry had said something to one of her kind of girlfriends. It was during the whole where pop stars were feuding with each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a time when that was a thing. And yeah, she just said, go where you're celebrated, not where you're denigrated. And I, that really resonated. I just thought, you know, there, there's definitely easier ways. And just this this time, this moment, reality TV, this isn't me. Just, <laughs> t- you know, turn it around and, and take it somewhere else. 
which was, I mean, good for you. And here you are. So you totally reinvented yourself in your thirties and you went back to school and got a master's. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, I know you both had the interest in the agricultural end, but also the, particularly the sustainability and authenticity part of it. Could you just share a little bit more? So you went back to school, you got a master's and then what led you into the business that you're in now? So when I did my master's, I picked blockchain and distributed ledger technology as the type of technology that I would focus on. Mm-hmm. And I very much connected it at that stage with business and innovation. So I developed and wrote up a model, a new model of, it was a two-phase model with an orchestration step and which, well, an implementation and then, how can I say, a scoping phase and then an implementation phase, which was uh, caught up in this orchestration model, which would scope how to determine what would be an appropriate use case for a blockchain system within a business environment. So I scoped a number of different use cases, which was actually in a football club. So there was a merchandising side, um, track and trace of merchandise through the club and on into the fandom. There's a kind of resale value there of some of the products. And there was a use case where we could use cryptocurrency for the fans to pay for additional content from some of the senior team players. So it's become more popular now, things like Patreon and there's there's a bunch of platforms now that do that kind of thing but a couple of years ago that wasn't really so popular yeah Um, you were ahead of definitely ahead of your time well I really enjoyed it I mean I really caught on to what the possibilities were and applied them in the context of this business which was both performative because I consider football matches to be like event-based performances. Mm-hmm. And then there was also this uh, additional income stream that's coming from merchandise and um, which needed to be tracked pretty rigorously. And then there was, it, it kind of added a value because of the resales of the, the, the collectibles, you know? So it was very interesting to start looking and atomizing the supply chain in that way and identifying where the value was and how that could be modeled in a decentralized or distributed ledger new type of business model. I would say that for blockchain and DLT, it's not that I'm not sure how how much your, your listeners will know about blockchain, but in any conversation about emerging technologies, whether it's AI or IoT or you know, advanced data analytics, these kind of things are always saying, well, what's the real use case? And at the end of the day, we're probably all using some of this stuff anyway. We just don't know it yet. You know, right. <laughs> we don't, you know yeah. how often do we think about how does the internet actually work? Or how does Facebook or Twitter know what our friends have posted uh, without doing some kind of fancy analytics in the background and posting and, you know, alerting you to what your friends are doing. So there's these really complex uh, responsive systems that we use all the time. And we probably, well, it's questionable these days whether we need to know about how it all works. <laughs> I know there's a couple of Netflix documentaries that are tackling that kind of issue. But well, tell us, tell us if you So you've had this passion for food. And you've been able to combine it, and in particular, food safety and full disclosure. You were able to merge that with the technology side. 
Can you talk a little bit about why it's so important? I mean, I feel like what you're doing is in the food and fisheries area is probably the most important of any of the industries. Thanks for taking me back out of that little uh, <laughs> digital marketing or, or social networking um, cul-de-sac. But it's, it's part of this idea of truth in the digital world or truth on the internet. And it, the same is for food and for provenance and product stories. Um, they say, or some analysis would suggest that, for example, some of the information that we get about the food we eat or any of the products that we use, right? About 70% of that information is garnered through advertising. And the rest, 30%, is probably packaging and uh, word of mouth and then visibility in supermarkets, that kind of thing. But in terms of what consumers trust, like referrals and what people trust, it's word of mouth and it depends on what territory you're in, actually, whether or not people believe what's written on a package. So, for example, in Europe, we're highly regulated about the required information on packaging. But that, the profound nature of the information that is, is required for citizens to have access to information about the food that they're offered, um, it is no longer room on a package. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, that's so interesting that you say that it's in Europe. What about the U.S.? Because there seems to be a greater degree of what we hear about food contamination and product recalls. There's a little, there, there is a difference for sure between the food, food industry in the U.S. It is mm-hmm. more industrialized. It's at a larger scale and it is subject to high degrees of regulation, obviously. Um, but the, There are instances where certain food categories, for example, like lettuce, um, have massive, massive, like 17% recall levels on them. And it's partly to do with how the food is prepared and handled and shipped. Uh, And because, you know, it could be cost lettuce, it might be individually packed in an open, you know, plastic you know, cup kind of thing, it can be contaminated. And there's quite a high degree of E. coli and other contaminants, which because of uh, food safety requirements will be recalled. And if there's not enough information available to say that it was this one pallet that was contaminated, the whole stock from a single supplier might have to be uh, removed from the supply chain. And that's what you're addressing. I was just going to say, that's what you're addressing with Origin Chain Networks, which is your business. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing for these growers and how it works? So there's two parts of the context there. One thing is about information for the consumer. People don't trust advertising the way they used to. They want more information. Who do they trust to give that information? If a brand is giving them the information, do they trust it? That's that's a question mark. It's this idea that in the, the new digital marketplace, people don't trust the information that they're given because so much information is available. So that is one consumer trend or consumer uh, reality. The other thing is with increased automation, we have the facility now to create these food supply chains with, which are just in time, you know. The, the problem is when something like this happens, like an E. coli contaminant in, in a truck of cost lettuce, 
the whole truck or the whole um, supply line has to be cancelled. And that means that there's a gap in the supply chain. And a huge loss. A massive loss. So there are needs there for a provenant story or a track and trace history, which will eliminate redundant loss of product for within the industry and Mm -hmm. eliminate or, or solve the information gap that the consumer might, may wish to have about their information. That is particularly important when we're talking about artisan, sustainable produce and organic produce because consumers of those premium products really, really care about where that comes from and who's making their food and want to know more. So what we offer is a platform whereby those kind of artisan food producers can share their story backed up with that kind of traceability information that not really from the point of view of uh, recall, but to share with the consumer and those other actors within the supply chain who need to know the information that the fish that they're providing is fresh or that the the organic beef that they're buying is actually organic beef from Ireland, for example. So we're able to solve some of those problems. Not Well, we do use blockchain technology to create a, a sort of layer of trust in this digital world that we now live in. Mm-hmm. But the important thing is to provide the tools that those artisan food producers can use on the fly that they can integrate into their working day, and particularly organic farmers, it's a very manual process. So they're out in the fields, taking photos, mapping their fields, um, tracking whatever, well, they're not putting any pesticides or chemicals on the, on the ground, but they certainly would need to track the, the manure that they're using or any other information that they might have to keep along the way, you know. And so, so does this get tracked yeah, all the way from the farmer? So this tracks from the farmer directly to the, the consumer, the final end who's buying it? We include the consumer as an oversight body. Yeah. So we can make our information available to the Food Safety Authority, to Customs and Excise, to the food compliance bodies. In Ireland would be the Food Board, which is called Board BIA and the uh, Department of Agriculture. So the licensing information would be made available. And if there was any issues around compliance default or fines, what should, so fines would be imposed if nitrates weren't managed correctly, that kind of thing. So there's quite stringent environmental regulation around farming in the past few years. And certainly in Europe, that's growing with the advent of what they're calling the Green Deal, which Mm. is a statement from European Commission to say that Europe will be the first climate neutral continent, I suppose you would say. Yeah. No, I mean, Fiona, that, yeah, that is fabulous. And what you're providing is really giving them, you know, this, the ability to do this. It's so important to offer tools where farmers are at, you know, and, and, while certain types of blockchain can be really processing intensive, as certain types of artificial intelligence and assisted decision-making can also be very processing intensive, we need to be really rigorous with ourselves as technologists about what we're offering um, 
to farmers and assure them that we take their imperatives as seriously as they have to. There's no point in me offering some fancy solution to a farmer. That means that using a public proof of work blockchain, that it's completely massively wasteful in terms of the electricity that it uses. And that would become part of their carbon calculation, basically. So we have to, we really have to start taking stock and taking responsibility ourselves as technologists and provide, you know, build the tools that farmers can actually use to solve the problems that they need to do. It's really part of a, um, it's flipping the story, really, instead of compliance auditors landing up on a farm twice a year, Mm -hmm. we are offering farmers the ability to digitize their own data on the fly with reporting mechanisms built in that have an ongoing close to real-time oversight from those compliance bodies. And we are really reimagining that interface, you know. And right now you're doing, so it's working with farmers and also, I understand, fisheries. Yeah. What are other, other industries that are on your radar as you grow? Uh, We've looked a little bit into the beauty industry, you know, uh, particularly where, you know, botanicals and things like that are used. But that would be really a next step for us down the road. We've had a couple of talks there, but we're we're focusing on agriculture really at the moment, you know. And are you also working with, um, so obviously right now you're in Ireland and working in Europe. What about the U.S.? Well, I do do some collaborations with my colleagues in the US and it's really around standards development. So I do some work with the IEEE with their blockchain group. So hi guys. <laughs> uh, so that is the closest I have come to actually working something up in the US, but there's an awful lot to learn um, from business practice there and from the way that standards are developed is like an open source or crowdsourcing process. So I'm tentatively taking steps to working in that environment or or sharing insights and networking with the US business community. It's a little culture shock, I would say, coming from Europe. I know we speak the same language in Ireland or the US, but it's it's kind of different business practice. So I guess I'm finding my feet, you know. So Fiona, there's definitely a running theme going on here. Resilience. I mean, that's you have developed an amazing resilience, which has taken you so far. Where where does this come from and how has it helped your career? It's such a thought provoking question, Linda. And I would say it comes from courage in my creativity and my convictions, lessons that I've learned myself throughout my life. I've traveled a lot. I've worked with a lot of people. I've had the pleasure of creating new in my art career, new and really fine work with amazing people, you know, that I'm immensely proud of. And when you have that in your background, it is an amazing strength. So when I moved into technology, I really thought I was turning my back on that. But as I gained my skills and, you know, made my bones and uh, proved that I had something to offer, all of that experience and insight from what it takes to make something really work, really valuable, how to identify it and how to communicate it really stood to me. And I would say I'm in this really lovely moment, I think, where my company is really beginning to take off and we're getting a lot of attention and having the strength to see it through 
comes from an assurance that I have basically learned in my career in the arts. And it's, it's a matter of great pride to me that I can say that because for anybody and anyone out there who has worked in the arts, whether it's music or performing arts or visual practice, we learn a lot and we learn how to uh, communicate in ways that are not, that contribute so much to ourselves and our sense and our identities, that we can bring that and turn that to anything. Mm. And so if I could share that message, particularly to moms and uh, encouraging their children to spread their wings, to always encourage their imagination, because there's strength in that. So if we, which kind of leads to what's the best advice that you ever got, Fiona, and how did it change you? Do you know, I don't think it changed me. I think it reminded me to be who I am. I think the best advice is remember who you are because Mm. you will, particularly in business, you can find yourself in new situations, making new deals. Sometimes you have to decide things on the fly. You always have to be able to trust your instinct and your gut and remember who you are and what, you know, what's the mission here. And my uncle taught me that. (laughs) He taught me how to grow carrots. (laughs) Remember who you are. Oh, I love it. That's great. I mean, you're doing this, and I just want to point out to to our listeners there, you're doing, you're juggling two children. You know, how do you do it all? How do you how do you make that happen? I have to say, I have a great husband. He is 100% supportive. We're 100% supportive of each other, of course. But you know, when I'm not around, he's just here to help pick up the slack. And we're really a great team. We have really grown through our our lives together. And um, yeah, it's I can't imagine my life or my business without him being part of it, you know? Yeah, no, the, the importance of having a good partner is, is what really yeah. great. Yeah. And I've got one final question, although uh-huh. I could, you know, Fiona, I could, I could listen to you forever the way you, uh, and, and I love your brogue, but I have one final question here because we are getting to the end. Fiona, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? This is another question, Linda, I love thinking about. When I was a little bit younger, I was involved with this theater workshop and we created these superhero avatars for ourselves. Ah. And my one, and I, of course, I'd forgotten all about it, but my one was Sonic Sister. And I had this, I imagined I had the superpower of really focused listening, you know, like being able to super duper listen to the bugs crawling in the ground or the water falling in the waterfall and the birds flying in the sky, that kind of thing. And then turn it around and be able to use my voice and articulate it with such clarity and conviction of purpose that I could persuade anybody of anything. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) So just bring it my way. (laughs) That's wonderful. Oh, thank you. And unfortunately, we are at the end of the show. But Fiona, thank you so much for sharing your journey and your excellent insights. Oh, really great pleasure to talk to you, Linda. And I look forward to yeah, engaging with your podcast further in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I want to bring you back and hear what's happening. But in the meantime, for more information about you and Origin Chain Networks, where should we our listeners go? We're on a few social channels, of course, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, which is all at Origin Chain, or you can find us on our website at originchain.network. Originchain.network. Terrific. All right. Thank you. So we, we look forward to our next show. Stay tuned for more great stories with amazing women. 
Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.